And I, um, I'm always thankful for this particular group, but for whatever reason, uh, man, our worship team, thank y'all so much. Uh, man, those, uh, man, just golly, I'm so thankful for their willingness to serve and, and part, this is only part of the team. Uh, they have some rotating positions and stuff, but man, they are, Y'all don't know what time they get here. You don't know the time that they spend during the week rehearsing on their own and then coming in to rehearse on Sunday morning. I am so thankful for their their willingness to use their talents and gifts for the glory of God. And um, it's, it's incredible. And it, as I was talking about all those prayer needs and all that heaviness right earlier, um, I, was, I was overwhelmed a little bit emotionally. But I just want to let you know, too, that, like, we're also lining up three baptisms. Like, so, like, it's... It's not just like death and disease that we're dealing with. We're also seeing God not only work in those situations, but we're seeing God bring salvation to those in need. And so that's a cool thing. And so I can't wait to share with you about those as we get uh, probably even starting next week uh, with one. And so, man, I'm so, so excited about what God's doing in our church. And uh, I love starting the new year off with some baptisms. It, it, it it uh, gets us started, right? But we are, uh, we're kicking off this uh, message series as we typically do at the beginning of a year with some DNA type stuff, okay? And so if it's your first time worshiping with us, it's a great opportunity for you to hear what we're about. Um, oftentimes you just come in and you just get to hear the style of the preacher and the music and all that. But today you get to hear from the core of who we are, what we are about today. And so uh, we're going to be talking about over the next four weeks, we're going to go through a thing we're calling First Things First, right? Uh, 2023 is the year of priorities. We're going to talk this year about how do we prioritize the right things and how do we follow God with the way he would have us to. But we're starting with us as a church. What are the first things that we need to focus on? And uh, so we're going to do that. Go on and turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 43. That's where we'll begin our study today. Um, I'm going to assume something, um, with maybe one exception today, Matthew, maybe not Matthew, but all of you drove a car here probably, or rode in a car here. Matthew may have been in a motorcycle. Uh, Jared, motorcycle or car today? A car today? Okay. All right. So all of you rode here in a car, all right? And there's one thing I know about a car, uh, a car... There's a lot of moving pieces, and that's about as uh, technical as I can get, um, the, the, I had a car not long ago. It's a car right before the one I drive now. Um, it was an older Honda Civic that I bought secondhand or not secondhand. I bought from my brother-in-law. He bought it from his, from my father-in-law, his dad. And he bought it from a guy who finds wrecked titles Hondas and fixes them up and resells them legally, not like sketchy. Like it's, it says it's a wrecked title. Okay. Um, so that's the car I had, uh, before the car I drive now. And, and it did, it did me, it did, it, we got, we got many years out of that little car. Um, but some of you know, cause it was while we were here, um, towards the tail end, it was a struggle. Uh, the Civic was a struggle. I, uh, I paid more in tow bills. Um, in the last year than I did in gas, probably. Um, but that, that little Honda, the thing I loved, uh, when we got Kelly's car paid off and I was able to go buy my 2014 Toyota RAV4, nothing new, nothing crazy, but I went and bought that car. And when I got in it for the first time, y'all, 
and I put the key in it, you know what I expected to happen? I suckered a crank. And you know what happened? Crank right up, Jeff. I was so pumped. I, it had been years since I got into a car with confidence. And now even today I get in and I have confidence that things that I won't when I leave. But that's how God works. But um, but like that's what I, that I love about that car. More than anything else, it, it runs. Now, again, I'm not super technical. Don't work on them. Don't know anything about them. Y'all are going to laugh at me. But here's what I know about cars. There's a bunch of systems in a car. A whole bunch of things have to happen for me to be able to drive down the road. It's not just me turning that key. There's a lot of different systems. And as impressive as it is for, for all those systems to be working properly and my car to run properly, it's not just that. It's also impressive that those systems are also dependent on one another. Right? They're, all, they're not just all running in a straight line doing their thing and not dependent on each other. You can have the best running engine. You can have the oil just right. You can have all that. If the battery doesn't send the power to the starter and the starter start, you ain't going nowhere. And this is, that's about, and that may be wrong, but that's about all I know about a car. Okay? Now, here's, what, here's what's cool. It's not dissimilar from our church. Okay? It's not dissimilar from our church. You got, am I holding a cup of coffee? Lindsay Laney's coffee this morning? We, we only buy the best coffee. Um, I don't know. I don't know what we buy. I don't drink coffee. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's a, a Maxwell. I think that's how you pronounce it. It's Italian. Um, but uh, we're off to a rough start this morning. Um, but listen, here's what you need to know. If you're holding a cup of Lindsay Laney's coffee this morning, here's what you need to know. That was touched. Uh, like six people probably were involved in getting you coffee this morning. Because we have people that go and get the, cu- the cups and the lids, the lids that match, right? Like we have people that go and do that. We have somebody who gets here and cuts the coffee maker on so that when it... That when the people get here to make it, that the, it's already hot, and then they can go with it. And then we have people that make it, and we have others that make sure it's stocked in between services. Because the first service gets hot coffee. If we just let it go, y'all drink cold coffee. So we have to keep the process going, right? We have people that clean up your messes when you lay the little sugar things, and it spills out all over the counter. But we still love you. But we somebody has to come back and clean that up. Throw your stirrers away and all those things. Like just the coffee system involves that many people. And that doesn't even get into uh, the, the, that doesn't even get into the, the first time guest gifts, our, our bulletins and greeter ministry, our kids ministry, our security, the worship and media team. Like all of those are systems that involve a ton of people. And we all show up on Sunday morning and we expect them all to work right. And use, praise the Lord, they usually do. But that doesn't even get into our Wednesday night groups, our outreach events, our fellowship events, our men's and women's stuff, our website and social media. You sense in the head, like there's a lot of systems going on in our church and all of them have to be strong. And, and that's why we try to get good leaders in each one of those places. And we try to encourage them and, 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 and lead them to build good teams so that the, the, the teams themselves can roll the stuff and it all works together well. It's a great opportunity for you to tell you. If you haven't yet found your place of service in the church, you can sign up today and we'd love to start finding you a place where you can serve. But none of those systems run independent of everything else. They're interdependent. They weave and cross with other ministries. For our car, in air quotes here, for our car, the church, to move forward, it takes a lot of systems all interworking together. Now, In this series, what I want to show you 
are the ways in which we overlap. I want to show you the things that drive all of this. I'm not going to show you all the systems. You Invite me for coffee or lunch, and I'll show you the systems. That's too much. But I want to show you the things this week. What are the things that bind us together, that intertwine us? So over the next four weeks, we're going to look at the mission that fuels us, the vision that aligns us, the strategy that connects us, and the goals that direct us. That's where we're going the next four weeks. But praise the Lord, you only got to have one today. That's all we're going to get through. The mission that fuels us. So all that to say, now let's look at Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 7. I'm going to read this, I'm going to pray, and then we'll come back and walk through some of it together. Isaiah 43, we're going to be a lot of places today, but let's start here. Uh, The word of the Lord says, uh, Now this is what the Lord says, The one who created you, Jacob, the one who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and the rivers will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, and the flame will not burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I have given Egypt as a ransom for you, Cush and Seba in your place, because you are precious in my sight and honored, and I love you. I will give people in exchange for you and nations instead of your life. And he ends with this, do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from far away and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who bears my name and is created for my glory, I have formed them. Indeed, I have made them. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. God, for your entire word. God, from beginning to end, God, we believe it to be uh, your word that declares uh, your truths and teaches us about who you are. And so today, God, more than we want to understand who we are as a church or what the world is around us, God, we want to know you. God, we want to we want to sense your nature and your attributes today through this text. And so, God, teach us today to know more about who you are and, and be with us as we study this text. Guide me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, Isaiah 43 reveals much about who God is and the love that he has for some simple human beings who don't bring a lot to the table. Um, Isaiah is speaking here directly to Israel's southern kingdom of Judah, okay? If you're not familiar with the history of Israel, um, it's okay. Uh, it's all in the Old Testament in those uh, the first five books and then the couple that come after that. It'd be a great spot for you to be studying uh, if you'd like to know more about it in 2023. Uh, we talk about it a lot here, um, but we're not going to take the time to walk you back through that. But there's a point in time in which Israel is divided into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Isaiah is speaking directly to the kingdom of Judah, which was the southern kingdom. Well, we need to hold that in context here, but at the same time, what we are seeing I believe, seems to be carried over to a broader group of people than just those who were born in a particular region with a particular lineage in a particular period of time. So Isaiah is speaking on behalf of the Lord, saying that there is a day in which his people will be gathered from the north, the south, the east, and the west. And he says of these sons and daughters, I have formed them. Did you hear that part? I have formed them. Indeed, I have made them. And we, we see that. But that's what I want to focus on. We, God says two things about these people. He says that they bear my name and they were created for my glory. 
Man, those two things are so good to be said of these people, right? But as you read the rest of the Bible, it seems that these two things, being bearing God's name and being created for his glory, seem to be synonymous. Here's what I mean. To do something for the glory of God and to do something in God's name seem to be smushed together. It seems to be pretty similar. It's clear that God says those who have been called out by me, by God, have a particular purpose to their existence, and it is to bring glory to God. Now, I want to introduce a new mission statement to our church starting this year. It's not really dissimilar from what we've had in the past, but um, I wanted to uh, uh, just feel like it, it brings some simplicity um, to what we want to do as a church, the mission that fuels us. So this is it. We exist for the glory of God and the good of man. That's the mission that fuels us. We exist for the glory of God and the good of man. The first part of that is what we see in Isaiah 43. If you're a note taker, uh, write down this. You only got two points, so you better take some sub points if that makes you happy to write things down because I'm not going to give you as much today as we normally do. We exist for the glory of God. Now, Isaiah, again, he spoke these words from the Lord to a particular group of people at a particular period of time. But it's my conviction as not a pastor, but as a Bible studier, Bible studier that this declaration was, seems to be more than just for the Judites living during Isaiah's time. It seems that this verse has much farther reaching implications and involvement because it speaks of God forming them and calling them, which is language we see in the New Testament. Now, we certainly have to be careful with how we read parts of the Bible. We've got to make sure that we don't put ourselves in the center of every text and go, oh, this verse is just for me. Probably not. It was written to somebody else. You better be careful. Context matters, right? But when we're studying, we want to focus on the context. We want to make sure that we understand it. But I believe there to be a little bit more freedom in this text because so much of what Isaiah says of these people that were living during his period of time who don't even share our lineage for the most part gets picked up by New Testament authors. And it's spoken of us who are believers in Christ as well. So the Bible speaks of us as people who bear the name of Christ people who bear his image. And we can be confident also, we see this, that God created us and has formed us. And because of that, I believe we also have a particular purpose for our lives, which is to bring glory to God. Paul picks up on this particular idea in his letter to the Corinthian church. Um, this was one of the verses I memorized as a kid. Uh, this, is, this is one of those verses, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Uh, for me, I had a little blue uh, NIV study Bible. It was the first like Bible that I read. Before that, I think I, you know, I had other Bibles, but that was the first one I remember reading. Still have it to this day, um, barely hanging in there. Um, but it's it's still alive. It's still there. And uh, but for me, I, this is one of those verses that's that's underlined in that Bible because I had it memorized. And it, what I think Paul is helping us understand is something about the glory of God. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. And so, man, that sounds really good. It looks good on a T-shirt. But let's think about what Paul's saying. Paul's saying that whenever you do what you do, when you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. But 
oftentimes we just think, okay, I need to do that. But you also have to think that what Paul is saying is that there is a way to live as a, as a human that does not bring glory to God, right? If Paul is saying there is a way that we can live for the glory of God, and he's admonishing the church at Corinth. He's calling them to live in such a way that they bring glory and honor to God. What that helps me understand is that there is a way to live that doesn't. So it's not just us as humans walking around every day and and we automatically bring glory to God just because we're humans. That there is a way. This is why Paul also says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So Paul connects this idea of not living for God's glory is connected to sin. And so it becomes clear to this not super smart redneck that if not living for God's glory is sin, then if I want to live for God's glory, it's what? Obedience. You see, we who've been called by the name of Jesus Christ, we bear his name on us. We know that God has created us, God has formed us, and we have a particular purpose for our lives, which is to bring glory to God. And the only way we can do that is through obedience. And for us as a church, the same must be true. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whatever we do here, whatever we plan, whatever we choose to get involved in, all of that at Lindsay Lane East must be done for the glory of God. There's a right way to do it, and there's a wrong way to do it. And that means... But as we do the things that we do, Jesus helps us see in Matthew 5, another verse that I've memorized, that there's something really cool that happens when we do that. Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give what? Glory to God, your Father in heaven. You see in this connection here, That there's a right way. And whenever we live our lives in such a way that we're living for the glory of God, it's not just about us. The people that see us, that they see the way that we live, they begin to give glory to your Father in heaven. You see, it's more than just a church corporately existing for God's glory. It's all of us as individuals shining the light of Jesus so that others may give glory to God. When we live our lives for Jesus and we work together at the church for Jesus, God gets glory. Amen. We exist for the glory of God. Now, honestly, this could be the extent of our mission statement. We just put a period on it and put it on the T-shirt. But we want to add a second piece uh, to this because we see its evidence in Scripture, and we believe it's, it's something that with the culture around us of what we see going on, it's something that we need to talk about, and that is in the good of man. So it's not just about doing things here for the glory of God. It's also about doing them for the good of man. Now, this is an important distinction for us to make as a church. Because for the last 2,000 years, the Christian church, uh, probably every one of them, I would say, uh, has claimed to exist for the glory of God. I don't know. It would be weird for a church to say something different from that. However... What I know is that many churches claim to be living for the glory of God all the while they spew hate and evil against other men who are created by God. Some churches show absolutely no grace and love for people who struggle with particular things. You know why? Because it's icky and they don't understand that it's weird. Listen, we've all witnessed this. 
So I'm laying before this church a mission statement that says we will be different. We will, we will do all this for the glory of God, but we're not going to spew hate and evil, and we will show love towards those in our community regardless of what sins they find themselves in. Because this has got to be a place where we can grow. Because if this is only a place where we come in, if this is only a place to come in and flaunt your fake spirituality, I'm done because I don't have it. Like, I'm not spiritual. I mean, I am spiritual, but like, I, I sin too. I can't stand up before you every Sunday and go, I got it all together. Listen to me preach the word to you. There are churches everywhere, and that's the vibe when you come in. It's everybody coming in with their little whatever, their their attitude of, of flauntiness. And like, they've got empty chairs. And so they'd love to have you if that's your vibe. <laughs> but we want this place to be different. Like we want this place to be a place in which people can come and know that they are loved and give them opportunity to grow in their walk with God, just as God is showing grace to me as I figure out. I've been a Christian for 28 years. You'd think I'd figured it out by now. I'm still growing. So we've got to be that place. Now, here's what I'm not saying. What I'm not saying is that man is good. I hope you, when I say in the good of man, you're not going, oh, yeah, humanity's awesome. I don't Open your eyes, right? That ain't true. Uh, Romans 3.23 that we just read a moment ago says that all of us have sinned. Every human on the earth has sinned, and that makes us not good. That's a, it's a foundational truth of this church. However, what we do believe is that God has made us as humans unique. Now, dog owners in the house? Dog owners? None of you. Okay, you liars. All right, some of you. All right, Leanza's dog. I've been around Leanza's dog. And she's, she, right? Yeah, she's beautiful. Uh, very well behaved. Only jumped in my lap like one time over there. Very well behaved dog. Some of you cat owners? Cat, okay, yeah, Danny. All right, some of you have cats. I don't know why you have cats, but I'm glad you do, and I'm sure they're awesome. I'm sure they're cute. As I said in the first service, Patrick and him have a bearded dragon, okay? Like, you, but you can have all kind of pets, and guess what? They're awesome. I'm sure that they're cute, they're the best, they're, but though, and those creatures have certainly been brought into existence by the very will and word of God. But God did something special when he created humans. He did something unique. You see it in the narrative of Genesis. After creating all the animals on days five, you know what God created on days five? Day five? The fish of the sea and the birds of the air. See, you're learning hand signals. You know what God created on day six? All the land animals, all the creepy crawlies, all the four-legged creatures, all that, and man. And when God created humans, he did a unique thing. God says in verse 126, let us make man in our image according to our likeness that will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. What we see in the text is that God creates a creature that actually has a particular function. 
to rule over the rest of God's creation. And he makes them male and female, just as he had done with the animals. But it's the uniqueness in which he speaks of them that we need to take note of, that they are made in his image. You see, there is a uniqueness to humanity, a God-given distinction from the rest of creation. And I've got to ask you a, probably a dumb question. Do you believe this? Okay, most of you said yes. If you didn't, uh, we can talk about it. But do you believe every man and every woman was made uniquely in God's image? Good, I'm glad you do. You always know when a pastor asks a dumb question, there's always a, there's always a flip, right? That's why some of y'all didn't say yes right away. You're like, I feel like there's more coming because you haven't been in church long enough to know. But if, if we do believe this, then we've got to be more brokenhearted over starving children than starving animals on commercials. If we believe this, we must be brokenhearted about even the most evil countries who are being bombed, we must at least be brokenhearted over those who are dying. We must be. What we have to do politically, I'm not getting into all that. But our heart as believers who look across the country and see people made in the image of God, giving their life, dying, like we've got to at least be somewhat brokenhearted over that. If we believe this truth, we cannot treat other human beings so poorly, like our neighbor who doesn't keep his yard as clean as yours, the coworker who slacks off and makes more work for you, the waitress who messed your order up this week, last week, and the week before, every employee at Walmart who isn't at a checkout line who makes my ice cream melt before I get home. And it's never the same when it melts. It gets crusty. Y'all know what I'm talking about. The, the, and, the, and the not only those things, but the person that's reffing my kid's ball game. You see this truth, church. You see this. Either human beings, all human beings are made in God's image or they are not. We have to choose one or the other. There is not some people. There is no distinction beyond all humans or none. And if they are, if human beings are made in God's image, there is a certain level of dignity that we must ascribe to them and treat them with. I am not saying you cannot disagree with someone. I am not saying you can't ask a Walmart employee, for the love of all that's good, can y'all open up some more registers? Because I've got gift cards and I can't do them over there at the little self-checkout thing because I get nervous. You can do that with dignity. My son played basketball yesterday. And I had already written this sermon. And I'm an assistant coach. And like, I, the whole time I'm going, made in God's image. Made in God's image. Made in God's image. And again, it doesn't mean I can't say, hey, I think you, Matt, he, they're walking all over the place. Can I do, you know, like, it's okay. I'm not saying we just have to keep our mouths, like it's okay for us to lovingly talk about things, but we must do it with dignity. Treating others with dignity. This is what God's teaching me, okay? I'm not perfect. Come to my games and hold me accountable. Kyle and Danielle were there. I kept my cool, right? Golly, she blew that whistle two times. All right. And it was on us. I was, I, I was having to tell my kids stop fouling. You know, anyway, all right, go ahead. 
For us as a church, we're seeking God's glory in what we do. We, we want to find ways to call out the image of God in humanity. We want to be a place in which the community around us feels welcomed and not judged. They have a space here to come and figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus. Do you see this importance? We exist for the glory of God and the good of man. Let me say that this mission statement is ordered in a particular way, though. The only way to work in a godly way for the good of man is to first give ourselves to living for the glory of God. It has to start there. Now, the Bible actually marries those two things in that particular order. In fact, over and over again, God re-ups his call for humanity to follow as image bearers. The call is to live for his glory. And when humans do that, they flourish. There's peace and there's growth and there's good things. But the problem comes when we invert that and when we put the good of man over the glory of God, when we try to make decisions for the good of man without first seeking God's glory. We start thinking, we know what humanity needs without asking God what they need. We see it in every aspect of the world. Music, social media, to politics. Everybody knows what humans want. They want to be told that their life can be better. And they'll do whatever they can to get your to get you to think that that they know what you need. Tell people they'll have a better life. The question is, we cannot forsake the good of humanity in exchange for the glory of God. There are certain truths that we cannot abandon. We have to acknowledge that, man, this is what we see going on in the world around us, not just in the world around us, but the church around us. Churches making decisions to give, uh, putting the, the, the good of man over the glory of God, making decisions. We'll talk about, I'm getting ahead of my notes. This is exactly what happens in Genesis 11. Let's go there first. As you move through the story of Scripture, you see several times from Genesis 1, and forward, that God tells mankind, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Those three things. There's an inherent call to take the name of the Lord to the ends of the earth for his glory to be known everywhere. That's what God says. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Scatter, carry my glory to the ends of the earth. However, what we see in Genesis 11 is a very different mindset from humanity. Genesis 11, beginning in verse 2. As people migrated from the east, they found a valley in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make oven-fired bricks. In the first service, I said oven-fried bricks, which was much more appealing to me. Uh, We're getting closer to lunch. I know what it's doing to you, but hang in there. Oven-fired bricks. They used brick for stone and uh, asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let's build ourselves a city with a tower with its top in the sky. Let's make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered throughout the earth. Now, the question that I had as I was reading through that was, is coming and building a beautiful city with a tower that's just super impressive and like, you know, continuing to develop the technology of bricks and all of that, like, is that good for humanity? Well, like, it can be, right? 
like building cities and technological advancements, those things are not bad in and of themselves. But the question that humanity was not asking at the time was, is this for the glory of God? That's the good question. In verse 4, you can see what's driving the whole operation, and God ain't mentioned. It says, let's make a name for ourselves. Right? This had nothing to do with God's name and everything to do with their own notoriety and their own clout. You see, it's possible for us as sinful humans to have this out of whack. That's why it's so important for us here at church, here at East, to keep it in that order for the glory of God and the good of man. You see, when we're choosing what to do as a church and we're choosing events and things that we're going to be a part of, we don't start and we cannot start with, man, this would be so great for so many people. Oh, man, this would be great for this group or that group or this would be so cool if we did this. Our first question has to be, does this honor the Lord? Amen? Like we have to ask that question, does this honor the Lord? Is this for the glory of God? If that answer is yes, then we move on to the second one. And I've been faced with decisions like this in the past. I've been asked at other churches, why don't we do this event or a thing like they do? Well, the the question is always, does that thing bring glory and honor to God? If it does in some way, first and foremost, then cool. Or is it just something you think people will enjoy? Is it something you want because that's the way you like it, right? These are questions we have to ask. All of this, the glory of God and the good of man. It's the worst thing that we can do as individuals and as a church is to be guilty of the same sin found in Genesis 11. And there's two ways in which we do that. One is we try to make a name for ourselves. We become consumed with that. Let's do this event so that people will know we're super spiritual. Come, let's make sure we look a particular way, especially on our live stream, so that people will see like, hey, that pastor's really cool. Look at his $12 belt shirt. $12, $12, isn't that a steal? Man, don't pay. Hey, if you're paying full price, Jeff, you're a sucker. All right. When I get off my notes, it gets, we get out of hand. But like, we can do that, right? Come, let's put certain things out on social media so that the name of Lindsay Lane East becomes strong. Right? Like, we can make it about us. You see how the, the motive is just wrong. Our decision-making, our efforts, our programs must not be about making a name for ourselves if we're only concerned with the name on our beautiful sign out there. And let's knock it down. Better yet, let's shut the doors because we're no longer a church. We're a social country club. If we're not here for the glory of God and the good of man, then we're wasting our time. Same is true for us as individuals. If you give and you worship and you serve and you go to small group and all of that because you want people to think a certain thing about you, then get Genesis 11 tattooed somewhere on you because that's what you're doing. You're building a tower for your own name. You want your name above God's name. The other way we can totally blow this if you notice, one of the it was a fear that was driving the tower in the city. It's back in verse seven, not verse seven, verse four. It says, "Let's make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, what we will be scattered throughout the earth." 
Do you remember what God said like four times already in the story? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Fill the earth. God had told them, carry my name to the ends of the earth. And here you have humans gathering together out of fear that they may be. Instead of going out, they're staying in. Man, that's a dangerous, dangerous game that a church can play. When we become so consumed with what happens in here, when we become so concerned about our own needs, we become concerned about having the best programs and the best stuff here and not and losing all of our outward focus. It's a scary place to be. Let's put Genesis 11 out on the sign because that's what we are as a Genesis 11 church at that point. As individuals, you can do the same thing. Focus just on your, your, your crew, just on your friends, just on your stuff, and forget that there's a dying world around you in need of a Savior, and you have the good news. Now, as you've already sensed, um, this is a passionate thing for me. And you're going to hear me say, for the glory of God and the good of man, till you're tired of it. But I want to talk to our leaders for just a moment. Um, so if you're a group leader, a team leader, a coordinator, staff member, I want you to check your heart on this because I have this week, as I already told you, been several things this week that just pushed me. And I had to ask myself these hard questions. So I want to ask you some questions as leaders. Why do you do what you do? Why do you lead? Is it for your own glory or for God's? Are you seeking the good of man or only your own good? So I want to challenge you to begin your life and lead here for the glory of God and the good of man. That's what I'm placing before myself, staff, myself as well. And if you're not a leader here, I want to ask you to pray for us. Pray for our staff especially. Pray for our leaders in our church, our, our, our uh, volunteer leaders, to do our best, to, to, to serve in such a way that we're, we're leading this church, but we're centered on the glory of God first and the good of man second. Because here's why it's important. Before, two vehicles before the Honda Civic, I had a 99 S10. Got it when I was 16. Wasn't anything to look at. Had one of those little single side, like the extended cab that has the weird seat that nobody wanted to sit in. The one that's kind of turned sideways. Only has the lap belt. Probably illegal now, whatever. Um, but I had that, and that's what I was That's what I was driving when me and Kelly were dating. And we dated for a long time. And um, there, was a, uh, there was a particular moment. There was something about the, car, the truck um, that happened towards the end of its life with me, um, I had, it had a bad uh, fuel gauge. You ever had a bad fuel gauge? That's tough. Uh, that's a tough thing to have because then the way I solved that was I filled up my truck every time. Just fill it up. Don't fill up halfway because then you got no idea. Fill it all the way up because I know I can get 360 miles on a tank of gas. Reset the trip meter like clockwork. Fill it up, reset the trip meter every time. Now, <laughs> there's one time I was in a hurry. And uh, I didn't have time to fill it all the way up. So I reset the trip meter and filled it halfway up. And I forgot. 
So I'm out on a date with Kelly. It's before I'd won her heart, you know. Still trying to uh, to convince her that I wasn't an absolute doofus. And so we're, we had been on a date. I don't even remember where we went. She may remember the story better than me, but um, we came back down the interstate. We're turning off on Thatch Road, the, the three, what is that, the 361 exit off the interstate, and we're coming back home. And uh, I don't know if you've been down Thatch Road. There's not a lot of street lights. And so as I got off the interstate, it, it kind of sputtered on me. That's weird. And in the moment, I thought, I looked down at my trip meter. I'm like, it's only like 180 miles. Should be good. And then it sputtered again, and I thought, mm, I didn't fill it up last time. And it was about that time that it compl- engine completely cut off. And I coasted into what was at one time the bird's nest antique store on Thatch Road. No street lights, no nothing. Me and Kelly, there. And so I did what any good 19-year-old kid would do uh, who's about five miles from every gas station. I called my daddy. <laughs> and I said, hey, uh, Dad, um, which is a total good move when you're trying to impress a girl, right? Dad, uh, I ran out of gas. Um, that one or over there. Um, but we had to wait in the absolute pitch dark um, and wait on my dad to come and give me some gas. Now, I still had to say, I don't want our church to run out of gas. You see, I want us to always be fueled with this mission. I want us to, to, to not just have to come back to this tank every once in a while and put a little bit in the tank because what will eventually happen, there's churches everywhere that don't even know it and they've run out of gas years ago and they've been sputtered. They've already passed the sputtering and they're just... They're just sitting there, and they don't even realize that the mission of God has died in their church. There is no mission. There is no pushing for the glory of God and the good of man. There is no fuel in the tank. And this is what I don't want to happen here. And so I want always in our decision-making, the things that we do to these two criteria, the glory of God and the good of man, to be what fuels us, like when you if you're if you're on the greeting team, you show up this morning and like be reminded that David was serving this morning on the greeting team. Be reminded that you're here for the glory of God and the good of man. Like when you're running the computer and the soundboard and the stuff, you're on the stage worshiping, you're in the kids' building, you're helping with coffee, whatever you're doing, remember why are you doing that? Not because the pastor asked you to, not because you were on a rotation. If you're doing it for the glory of God and the good of man, you will never burn out because the fuel is always there. You're always being reminded. And for us as a church, as long as we keep fuel in the tank, we continue to remind ourselves, continue to stay focused on it. This will be a great future ahead of our church. Now, I say all that to say, um, the problem with this is the Bible does not give us a picture of a church that does this perfectly. <laughs> it doesn't give us a picture of uh of a lot of people who do this well. But it gives us one picture of one man who did it exactly right. And it is Jesus. We have this perfect picture of Jesus who perfectly lived out in the, in, in, in the way his ultimate aim was to live for God and to do his will. And in doing all that, he brought glory to the Father. 
But there were most certainly aspects of Jesus's ministry where he was clearly thinking and acting in ways that were for the good of man as he healed, as he interacted and encouraged others. Those things were there to build up other image bearers. Yet at the same time, they were centered on God's will and glory. Here's the deal. If you've not yet trusted in the name of Jesus to save you from your sin, living for the glory of God and the good of man will be impossible. Because what has to happen first before you can go to the glory of God and the good of man and live your life that way, you have to be redeemed from the sin that separates you from God. And Jesus took all that sin on himself and died. And you've got to accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And what God does is he, place, he places a full 100% dose of his spirit within you. And it's that spirit within me that allows me to walk according to the glory of God and the good of man. If you've not yet trusted today in the name of Jesus, we want to talk with you about that. We're going to sing another song here in a second. And I'm going to stand back there at the back and, and I just want to, I want to help you work through that. 28 years ago, I gave my heart and life to Jesus Christ as a pretty young kid. Since then, I've been able to, by God's grace, walk kids and teenagers and adults and senior adults through the process of what it looks like to trust in Jesus. And I would, I would love to help you start 2023 off by trusting in Jesus, if, if that would be something on your heart today. But I'm already a Christian, okay? So, like, this message is not just for that. I already told you this week, God's been reminding me and helping me see that even in my own life as your pastor, that there are times where I have this out of whack. There's times where I'm tempted as a pastor to make decisions and do things for the good of man and then hoping it's the glory of God too <laughs> instead of inverting that. And I know I can't be alone in that, so I want to take a moment to reflect on the mission for your life. As we spend some time praying and singing, just think about, is this the way you're living your life for the glory of God and the good of man? Is this what drives you? Is this what's fueling you now? What is your mission and how does it need to change to get back to what we're talking about? So the altar will be open for you to come and pray here. You may want to pray right where you are about something going on. And I'll also be at the back to help you process through anything. But the big question is always, what next steps do you need to take? If your life looks nothing like glory of God, good of man, what next steps do you need to take to, to realign with that? And so, Father God, we thank you for this opportunity uh, to, uh, to study your word. God, I pray that, that today, God, that you would speak to us. You would help us, God, even in this moment, um, God, to wrestle with these truths. We trust you in this. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and, and sing together.